Welcome to Pragmatic Live, a podcast that helps product teams define, build, market, launch, and of course, price innovative products. I'm Mark Stiving, a Pragmatic Marketing Instructor. Joining us today is Rebecca Caligeris. She's VP of Marketing with us at Pragmatic Marketing. Now, Rebecca is often the one doing the interviews here on Pragmatic Live, but today she's the expert and I get to interview her. And today's topic is going to be market research. More specifically, the annual survey that Pragmatic Marketing just completed. Oh, and be warned, she's also a very good friend of mine, so who knows exactly what's going to happen on this podcast. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, wide open question. Tell us about the survey. Sure. All right. So, every year we do a survey of the uh, product management and product marketing marketplace. We try to get as big a collection of people to respond as we can. And we did a really great job of this this year, thanks to some efforts on our end to promote it and some great partner work. We got over 3,500 respondents who uh, responded to tell us a lot about the roles they have today, what they're responsible for, the problems they're facing, and then, of course, what kind of money they're making for, for solving these problems. Uh, we had, I think it was uh, every state but two, uh, we had people from every state but Louisiana and Hawaii, and we had respondents from 56 countries. So a nice global view. And then with the numbers like 3,500, we were able to to kind of slice and dice the data in a lot of different ways and still have a, a viable sample size. So it was, it was a fun year to dig into the data. Excellent. And so if you budgeted next year for uh, dollars for you to go over to Hawaii and personally interview some product people? Absolutely. I'm going to go to New Orleans and then I'm going to go to Hawaii and they are going to take this survey. And then we also had a couple of countries which I'd like to visit that we didn't get response from. So I think that'll be fun as well. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Next year will be a much better survey. Right. Next year, I, we, it was funny because last year we got a little over 2,500, I think, uh, respondents and we were super proud of that. And so this year we did 3,500. Like my team's first response was, Oh, we don't have to try and get 4,500 next year, do you? <laughs> like every so, year it must be bigger. <laughs> how did we get to 3,500? So how do you find the respondents for the survey? So I think one of the things is this is our 17th year. So there is an expectation in the market that it's coming. And then we have a lot of different industries and a lot of different countries where we've, we've had less um, responses from before that people had reached out to those and said, how do we get more? And I was like, you know how we get more is you help us get more. Right. So we sent out promotions from our end. We did a big social media play on our side, but we also had a lot of different partners, whether they were product camps or product management associations. Sometimes it's the AMAs. It's different product groups in different countries. Sometimes it was uh, company wide initiatives because they all know that the bigger set of data we have, the better information we have. So we had a lot of partners help promote. And I think that really put us over the edge. We leave it open for, I think, just about 28 days, too. So and we remind people several times in between. Wow. So 3,500 is a huge response rate. Love that. There's another really hard question, though. Why do we do this survey? What, so what does pragmatic marketing do the survey? Sure. So I think, you know, one of the things that we teach, one of the things you teach every week, Mark, is the importance of really understanding your market. And, uh, you know, we often think about that as mojito and really getting out into the out of the office and into the market and talking to people. And that's a really important part. But there is a quantitative aspect of this too. So when we send out this data, we get a really good view of, of trends, right? Whether it's, you know, uh, we've seen movement in, in where product management reports or we see the breakdown in product management by industry and, and emerging trends in terms of percentage of companies that have SaaS products. It helps us 
understand our audience and it's it's not just our customers too it's the bigger market those who know us and and those who maybe found us through third parties they hadn't known us before so we get a really good look at the cross-section and the demographics and 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 the problems that they face it allows us to have a much better understanding of the market which allows us to build of course better courses and then selfishly it allows me to to build marketing materials both our thought leadership stuff um, and then the more direct pieces that that will speak more directly to the problems they have because I have a better understanding. Wow! So that last answer was going to lead might be my next question, but let me uh, let's let's dig in just a little deeper. Can you give an example of how we've made a marketing decision or a business decision based on the results we've gotten from the survey? Sure. Um, so when we looked at expanding globally, right, we were looking at which countries made sense and and. You want to find countries both where you have, so in the past, just so everyone knows, we did publics only in the U.S. and Canada, and we would travel anywhere in the world to do an on-site, a private training for someone, but we didn't have publics there. Um, and last year, we really decided as a, as, a, as a company that we wanted to expand that. We had a lot of global clients that we had had footprints in because we went and did private trainings for them, that we knew that there was an opportunity for us to expand our public offerings. But it's a lot of... There's, it takes a lot to go international, right? There's a lot of new uh, rules and regulations you have to do. You have to get different licenses and taxes and finance and legal and all this stuff. So you want to make sure you pick the right market. So how do you pick the right market? Well, you have to both, you have to know where you're known, right? So not only can I look at my customers, but I could look at the, the data of where we were getting survey respondents from, which includes customers and non-customers. And I know who's heard of us. Where do we have sort of brand awareness? What countries is that heavy in? And then when we pinpointed a few, we could also take that data and go, okay, are they having the same types of problems uh, that, you know, when they, are they doing the same type of activities as that role is defined in the U.S. is done here? Because do we, does our product make sense to them? So it was really able to help us identify and then validate decisions. In this case, we went to, to Europe and particularly in the UK, and we felt really comfortable that we had a good understanding of, of the size of that market compared to the US, that we had a, a decent level of brand awareness and that the, we could pull through the problems that they talked about and their areas of concern and know that that, that was a, a good fit too. Wow, that's actually really smart. And we, you know, we try. Every once in a while, <laughs> we make sure we try and make sure we do what we teach, uh, varying degrees. But but yeah, it was a it was very helpful tool that way. OK. And so we obviously share these results with our customers, our clients, uh, people in the product space. What value do you think they get out of this? You know, it's really interesting to me. Um, you know, the surveys, it's a bunch of work and it, it falls like right over the holiday. So like right before Christmas, I am working really hard and doing all the analysis. And right after Christmas, it's waiting for Norman, our designer, to like design out. And so it's like this terrible Christmas present waiting for him. And it's just a lot of work, but it's, but it's good. But it's really satisfying because as soon as those results come out, we get questions, right? And we get questions because people are going to use that data. And we have, you know, dozens of people who talked about how they use that data in their own lives to get raises, to, to explain, hey, look, this is where we're not being... Um, compensated the same way as the market, right? So that one we hear a lot. And often people will ask us, hey, can you cut the data by more specific state or oh, on these criteria so that I can do a real apple to apple comparison? So that's probably the most common, but we've also used it, um, seen people use it as a way for them to benchmark what their teams are doing against other teams. So if uh, it's not necessarily best practice in here, but you'd have industry average. So how am I being as 
tactical or as strategic as my competitors as the industry as a whole? Or are we even doing less than we should in the strategy? Are, you know, is 90% of the audience doing market problems, but we are not. So how can I use that to benchmark where my, my, uh, where gaps are? And they've used that as reasons why they need to do additional training or get additional resources. Hmm. Okay. So as you spent your Christmas holiday analyzing all the data, yes. did anything surprise you? Um, you know, it's uh, year over year, there's not huge movements. There's not these, these giant leaps, um, kind of in the data that they always think, well, maybe this year there'll be some shocking change. But, but I think, um, a couple of things that you really see are, are certain trends that people talk about. And, and, uh, in this particular case, there was a lot of talk about, um, big data. It continues to be a big thing. And there was just a more of a separation between um, people who thought it was a really good thing and people who were just probably inundated with data to the point where they found it a paralysis issue. But that came up a lot as one of the problems they have. And just a continued desire for, for clear strategic focus um, from their leadership and time to work on that strategy is something we see quite frequently. So, so what is going on in the world of big data? Do you, can you tell anything from the survey or even from Nahito visits? Could you, could you give us some insight on that? I mean, I, I would say particularly we have a, a large, as we know from our survey, 54% of our audience has some form of a, a SaaS type product. So those tend to be heavy deliverers of data, right? Because you get usage data, you get where they looked data, you get just data. Um, and so we, we have, I'd say it's one of those things where, you know, I wouldn't want to say it's jumped the shark because you're never not going to want the data, but I, you know, it's so exciting as, as these data um, flows opened up and we got all, everybody got all this information. They were so excited to have it. And then it got to a point where either you, you have all this data, but you don't, you can't make the story behind it. You don't know how to use it to get what you need to do. Or there's so much data that anyone can pick any data pinpoint to support their point of view. Right. So then it loses its power because it's just a tool. Right? It's, it's another statistic that I can make into a lie if it's not used correctly. So we've seen people gone from excitement to a little bit of maybe um, fear of it, overwhelmed of it. Yeah, that's great, but there, there, there needs to be uh, containers for it so it becomes more consumable. Well, the whole concept of big data is fascinating to me. As you know, I have a doctoral uh, PhD, and in the doctoral program, You're I got the bragging. Blank. You're like, wait, know, as you know, know. where did you go, Mark? Doctor, Tell us, where did you go to school? Program, <laughs> I got to play with scanner panel data, which was big data. It was purchase data of yogurt and tuna fish. Ooh. Go figure. And um, but but one of the things that's fascinating is that just having this pile of data doesn't do you any good until you create some kind of model that says. I think people are making a decision this way, or I think people are behaving this way. And then you go out and do the statistics and run the models in order to find out that's really true. And, and I don't think product people are trained to do that skill at all. It's, it's not a trivial skill. No, I think that's a good point, that hypothesis uh, and, and data. But the, the answer isn't all in the data unless you know the right questions and you, and you know something what you want to check out. And I think there is an art form to that that is probably um, – not something everybody knows how to do. And so buried inside the data of our survey are some fascinating things mm -hmm. we haven't found yet. Yes. I was going to ask you, what are they? But we haven't found them yet. No, that's true. <laughs>
Um, so, so maybe I'll take a look at the data again this year and see if we can correlate something with pricing. I love doing the pricing analysis. Yes. And then seeing uh, which areas. It was funny because uh, I had two people who asked questions afterwards. One was really digging in on the, the male versus female thing and, the, and the, um, what other factors, right? Is it really that males can make that much more than females or is it really that those males all happen to have higher degrees and more experience and yada, yada, yada. So uh, the questions really helped me look at that data. I thought, well, that's a fair question, right? So we took a cross section and pulled in and there's, nope, nope, they make that much more. But another um, question that someone asked me about to dig into was, hey, so what is it that executives do that, that others don't, right? So that I know if an executive profile looks like they handle these things. And one of those things, Mark, is pricing and profitability. There's a huge gap <clears throat> from what executives and product teams and how many of them said that this was their responsibility in their domain and then how many of the individual contributors did. And I think if someone can start, even if they don't feel like they're fully empowered to do pricing right now, if they can influence that, if they can learn the right ways to do that and the right ways to start thinking and kind of bring their company along from the side, that looks to, that's a good road to executive leadership because it was clear uh, difference in, in who did what. Mm, very interesting. And as you know, what we teach in the class is that understanding pricing helps us build better products. And so that would mean a product marketer, product manager is going to do a much better job once they understand the whole concept of pricing. So let's talk about titles for a little while. I think titles are fascinating. How many different titles did we get this year? So I counted up to 700 and then I stopped counting because I was like, <laughs> all right, uh, you know, and we try to standardize for VP equals vice president and all those things. But it's insane. The, the number of titles, I think, again, shows that there still is a certain lack of standardization and clarity around the role. And and so they're using titles as a way of kind of building out stratifications of, of the role to mean as different things, give it a different uh, lean to. One of the things we talk about, you know, we have 37 boxes that we teach, 37 things that are important to building and, and marketing products. And that's a lot for any one person. So I think there's a, some specialization that we've seen within the industry where people are, you know, instead of doing the whole framework, they're doing pieces of it. And I think sometimes the specific titles relate to which pieces of the framework they do. Right. So I might be a product manager, but I have a different title because I'm a product manager that does boxes, you know, seven through 22, but I don't do one through six or eight through nine or whatever. One of the things that I was always curious about when I look through the data or I look through some of the results is how many people think of themselves as product managers and how many people think of themselves as product marketers. So is there any way to say, I, I mean, I get it. Someone gives a title of product team member we don't really know which side of the framework they think they fall on. Yeah, and we used to cut this all by title, right? So it was whether you're a product manager versus a product marketing manager. And we stopped just because we would go out and, and in the market visits regularly go to meet a product marketing manager and think this is what this person's going to do and find out that it was the opposite, right? And we meet a product manager that did the roles that we had traditionally assigned to a product marketing manager. So it just wasn't uh, a way to cut it. So what we ended up doing is changing the question to be, okay, do you spend more of your time focused on what should go in the product or do you spend more of your time focused on how to get that product to fly off the shelf? And so, and that way we've, we've tried to take the roles that we had traditionally defined in the titles and be able to split it that way, but without using the titles that aren't used, that are inconsistently used throughout the industry. Once again, you and your team are brilliant. Oh, go on. So what are the results? <laughs> 
<laughs> what are the results? What percent came out on the left-hand side versus the right-hand side? Oh, geez, that's a really good question. Uh, 41% said that they decided what should go on the product. 26% said that they create and execute the kind of going, flying off the shelf. And 33% said they did about each about equally. And I think you see a lot of those each about equally in smaller companies where you maybe only have uh, one product manager or a small team. And so it is definitely a, uh, everybody does everything. That's how I started out in my career. I had a product manager of, owner of 37 boxes. Um, and then it also tends to see, we saw this again when we looked at the executive data, that at the executive level, it goes back that way, that the, the VP of product tends to oversee both of those arms pretty consistently. And I think that's where you get that, that fairly high percentage at 33% about each equally. Okay. And, and the 40, uh, 46, 23, or whatever the numbers were on, the, on that other split, do you think that has to do with the number of people inside companies or the number, the types of people that we typically have access to? That is a great question, Mark. And I think the answer is both. So it's uh, 41 to 26%. And I would say that we have historically grew out of the product management, what goes in the product side, uh, though we've made uh, a big change in that over the last five years. There's still probably more volume over there. But we do ask the question in the survey, how do department sizes compare? And it's we, we saw across the averages from everyone that for every product manager, there was 0.5 product marketing managers. So again, I would say the industry also says that there's about a two to one ratio there, which would match up closely to what we got for results. Hmm. Okay. What about strategy versus tactics? Mm. <laughs> Yeah. So every year we ask the question about, you know, how much time are you spending on tactical activities versus strategic and tactical activities was 72%. Strategic was 28%. Every year we also ask, what do they think it should be? And they always give us the 50, 50 mark. Um, so, you know, they, they know that they need more time in the strategic. It's just, it's hard. You know, they're spending 40 hours a week attending meetings and 32 hours that so just think about that for a minute, 40 hours a week attending in meetings is, one full week, right? 4.2 work weeks in a month, you know, a quarter of that you're spending in meetings, 32 hours, so almost another quarter you're spending on emails. So there's just, you just run out of the time for the strategic. Um, but this year they did say that they were able to spend more time on strategy than the previous year. So apparently 28% is a, is a step in the right direction, right? And do we ask any other questions on that? Because one of the things that, that I often teach uh, is that people need to block off strategic time on their calendar. And I would love to know if people that spend more time on strategy actually do that or not, or, there, or if there are other tricks that they use. No, that's a really good question. And, you know, we, every year we ask if people would be willing to, uh, to spend some more time with us to, to ask to, on a phone call to dig deeper. And maybe we'll do that because I think that that kind of practical advice on how do you do it? Do you block your calendar? Do you block a day? Do you say these two days? A month, I'm just not going to be in the office, but it's important and it's, you've got to fight for that time and you've got to um, just make yourself unavailable to some extent. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, then I'd like to add a few questions to the survey. How do we decide what questions we like to ask in our survey? Well, whoever sends me the best presents right around November 1st, <laughs> those are, no. Uh, <laughs> luckily, Mark, you could just talk to me. So every year we put together this survey in October. So um, I would I would love questions. And we try to do about this time of year a retrospective. Uh, you know, why the survey is still fresh in our mind? What do we wish we had asked? So if you've got ideas, I would love to hear them. 
Okay, I will share them with you. Do you want to give us a hint? The audience is going to want to know. Are you sure? Well, well yeah. so I was going to ask some. <laughs> I was going to ask some other pricing questions because I would love to know more about pricing inside companies. Obviously, mm. what else would I really want to know more of? Mm-hmm. Would you ask like what problems they have with pricing, or how they're doing it today, or both? Uh, there'd be several different questions. I'd like to know who owns pricing. Ah, yes. Inside a company and what that means. And if we broke pricing up into different departments or different um, uh, purposes, functions, who would own that? Um, I'd like to know what companies have a pricing department or have a pricing committee. I think we should also say that if someone listening has an idea for questions that they would like to have asked or that they would like to be able to, you know, cut the data by that they could absolutely email us at survey at pragmaticmarketing.com and that will go directly to me because I would love to get other ideas. Okay, well, I've got a list. I'm going to send a survey at pragmaticmarketing.com. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, Rebecca, thanks so much for your time. I had a great time talking to you. I did too. And I just want two more statistics from the survey. I just want to drop real quick. Oh, please. 35% uh, of people or companies must commit to adding a feature in order to close a specific deal. And 34% deliver features that aren't being used by customers. Those numbers are really close. Ugh. Sometimes it makes me wonder how much they're connected. But, uh, but oh. that, that number, that was one that when you'd asked me earlier what really stood out, I, I should have brought that one out. 34% deliver features that aren't being used by customers. That just shocks me. What else just could your team have been delivering at that time? Yes. And, and not that everything belongs to price, but of course it does. <laughs> if we knew that customers would pay for something before we put it mm -hmm. in, odds are really good they would use it. Right. Or we wouldn't care. Or we wouldn't care. <laughs> so, awesome. Thanks for those statistics, too. That was great. That was great. So to our listeners, we hope you got a lot of value out of our podcast today. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, praise, suggestions for improvement, questions you'd like us to address, or maybe even random thoughts. Everything's welcome. Please send your comments to experts at pragmaticmarketing.com. And don't forget to join us for the next episode of Pragmatic Live. See you next week.